0: Um, that everything that is distracting us, that everything that is pulling our attention away from being here this morning, that you would silence that for a moment. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How many of you had a long week this week? Oh, just a couple of you. Good. <laughs> it's good to be here this morning. I um. As I do a couple of times a year now, something that is, has, is starting to happen, I was actually on retreat this week. I was on a spiritual retreat at Pine Springs Ranch, and um, it was one of the best things that I've done in a while. The last time I was on a retreat, I came back not feeling great. This time, I am feeling amazing. And so this morning, we are continuing our sermon, our sermon from last week. Last week's title was, God has faith in you. This morning we will be continuing that. God has faith in you, part two. Now what we spoke about last week is if you have, if you have your Bibles and you want to look at it, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20, 18 through 20, says this. And Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. And of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always even to the end of the age this is in essence if you've been a seventh day adventist or a christian this becomes our battle cry right this becomes the very mission purpose and the sense for which we were created And what ends up happening is we always tell each other, make disciples, make disciples, go into the world, be a missionary, whether across the ocean or here in your world, be a missionary. Do this, do that, all for the glory of God. And what sometimes ends up happening is that we're always going, 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 and we forget that we're not always supposed to be going. And here's what I mean by that. It's possible for us to try to make all sorts of disciples. It's possible for us to always try to convert people. It's possible for us to do all of the things we're supposed to and yet miss out on who Jesus is. In John 15, there's a little passage. I believe it's in verse 3 or so. Don't quote me because I don't have it in front of me. But Jesus says, if, I abide, if, if you abide in me... I will abide in you. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. A part of this outer life of teaching people of Jesus, a part of the outer life of trying to disciple people, a part of that and most important part of that is what you are doing behind closed doors. It's whether you yourself are spending the time to abide and to be in the presence of God. Because the time that you spend with God daily will overflow to the way you live your life among others. And so before you go, it's my encouragement and my prayer that you would spend the time abiding in the presence of Christ. For all the power will be given to you through that. Now, with that said, I want to jump into... The part that tells us to go. now I want to read to you, oh no, go back there <laughs> there was something before that. The mission statement of this church, which almost is going to be contradictory now to what I just said, thanks Brian. Thank you, is that through grace we want to make faithful followers of Jesus. That's what we want to do. When we look back at this church, what we want to do is to say that we were able to teach people what it looks like to be followers of Jesus and we use the word disciple. Now in the New Testament, The word disciple shows up 269 times. That's a lot, right? Now, if there's a word in a textbook, like your school textbook, that keeps coming up time and time again, do you pay attention to it? Yeah, it's probably going to be on the test. The word Christian only shows up three times. When people ask you, what are you? When it comes to faith, what do you say? do you say you're a Christian? Do you say you're a Seventh-day Adventist? Or do you say you're a disciple of Jesus? This past week, I was telling you, I spent four days at a retreat. And it's not just a Seventh-day Adventist retreat. It's all sorts of different Christians that are there. And what ends up happening is we began to identify ourselves by the different churches that we were a part of. And I think sometimes when we do that, Sometimes when we say, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, it's almost as though we're saying, I'm allowing the church to believe for me. Hey, this is what a Seventh-day Adventist believes. And so what ended up happening is that in this process, the people that were not Seventh-day Adventists kept asking us questions like, okay, what do you Seventh-day Adventists believe? And instead of us just entering into a relationship with each other, what it became was a conversation about different facts and different Bible verses, and when that ends up happening, it, real and genuine relationships don't begin to take place. And so, this morning, I would encourage you that before you say you are a Seventh-day Adventist, I would encourage you to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I am a disciple of our King. Now, I want to read to you kind of a long quote from, from an author named Dallas Willard. And this is what He writes, for at least several decades, the Church of the Western world, meaning we're part of it America, would um, world have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be one or to intend to be one. A disciple in order to become a Christian, and one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress or in toward or in discipleship. So in essence, he's saying, look, we have not made discipleship something that is important in the Western world. You can come, you can get baptized and be a part of a church, but you really don't have to be a follower of Jesus, in essence is what he's saying. Contemporary American cultures in particular do not require following Christ in his example, spirit, and teachings as a condition of membership. Now, I know that some of you are probably sitting here thinking, no, yeah, we're supposed to do those things. Yeah, you're right. But we don't kick anybody out if they don't. Do you see what I'm saying? Some clubs require you to pay dues. Some clubs require you to dress a certain way or do certain things in order to be a part of the club. And if you don't, then you're kicked out. Okay, so this is kind of the thinking that's happening here. So, as a condition of membership, either of entering in or continuing in fellowship of a denomination or local church. So far as the visible Christian institutions of our day are concerned, discipleship clearly is optional. Now, this man, Dallas Willard, isn't just some crazy kook. He is a respected person among all of Christianity. And basically what he's saying is this. Are you a disciple? Are you trying to live your life in a way that follows the footsteps of Jesus? He's asking the very simple question, why do you believe in Jesus? Now, when our founding fathers and mother began the Seventh-day Adventist church, they didn't want to become an institution. They didn't want to become the Seventh-day Adventist church because they knew that if that happened, the movement of spreading the gospel would become institutionalized and and it would be slowed down from reaching people. Did you know that? They did not want to become the Seventh-day Adventist church because they knew that there would be nominating committees and there would be selection committees and there would be a selection committee that chooses a selection committee that would then choose a nominating committee that would then nominate people to become officers in our church. And they knew that there would be board meetings and they knew that there would be committees to change the color of the carpet And there would be committees that changed, I don't know, what other, what other things do committees do? I have a sense that our founding fathers and mother realized that if we became like all the other churches, only interested in the business of the church, we would lose a sense of what the gospel really meant. And so Dallas Willard says, because of this discipleship is optional now the elders of this church do not think or believe that discipleship is optional now we can't make you sign on the dotted line that says that you will be a disciple but in two weeks we are going to be celebrating a baptism (laughs) and we're going to try to walk alongside this person and help her through the way of discipleship actually it's going to be her and Kathy because Kathy you were baptized before her so they don't know this but we're going to be meeting on a weekly basis as I walk alongside them and show them how to follow the way of Jesus. Because we are not okay with just baptizing people, adding them to the numbers of the church, and then just letting them come and sit. Our prayer is that we would show people what it looks like to live a life that is daily connecting and listening to God and then allowing it to filter out into their lives. Because that is what we're called to do. So, we come back to this. We were never supposed to be an institution, but now we are. It doesn't make us bad. It just means that we have to work extra hard to make sure that we recapture the movement of what it means that we live out the gospel. What it means that we preach the gospel. We proclaim the gospel in every situation we find ourselves in. Because we do this to give honor and glory to God. Now, let's go into a quick Bible study here. Out of the book of John 17. Let's look at the scripture together. Verse 1. The Father, Father, rather, the hour has come. This is Jesus. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. We live in the world of reality TV, where people on these television shows are famous for just being on TV. We live in a world where our children now want to be famous Right, We lived in a world where once we wanted to be firemen, and we wanted to be policemen, and doctors, and I don't think anybody ever wants to be a preacher, but that might be an option as well. But we lived in a world where our children had the imagination of doing something good, something mighty, something great in this world. But now if we ask kids, and I've asked, so this is you know empirical data here, you ask them, it's that they want to be a famous something. I want to be a famous this. Usually it's an athlete. I want to be famous I want to have a nice car. I want to have a big house. I want to have a house like that athlete. And I think our children have begun to lose the imagination of, I can actually still be something in this world and make this a better place. I think what we have become a part of is is this syndrome of, of wanting to be famous but when we look at the biblical narrative, and this is why it's important, parents, that you read the Bible so you can teach your kids about what the Bible says. It says that Jesus says, Father, glorify me so that the Son may glorify who? Himself? Your church? What does he say? Glorify me so that I may glorify you. Our purpose Our sense of being and moving in this world is not about you. It is about what God is doing in you, through you, so that you can draw the attention back to God. Our entire existence and reason for existence is not for a bigger portfolio or bank account. It's not for all of the toys that you can accumulate. It is so that you can give glory to God, which is why at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a janitor, or anything in between. It doesn't matter what, what is in the front of your name or behind your name, your title or your suffix or any of that. What matters is, are you living your life in a way where at least you try your best to give glory and honor to God? That is one way of preaching the gospel. And here, Jesus is giving us a very clear example that the only reason he wants God to pour himself, the Spirit, into him is so that he can give glory and honor to God. And so we go to lesson number one. Everything you do must be done to glorify God. Everything you do, you must do for God's renown. You've heard me say this before, and I promise you I will continue to say this. Week in and week out. Because I think this is one of those hidden things that we don't talk about. We want glory. We want honor. We want to be without sin. We want to be with less sin. But if we're not doing it for God's renown, it's pure, selfish ambition. Lesson two. Just as Jesus was given authority over all flesh, you too are given authority or influence over people. For these people, you must be the bearer of eternal life Some of you may want to go to Africa or somewhere to go be a missionary but it's not a possibility for you Or sometimes we look at people that are doing big and amazing things and we think to ourselves I wish that I could be doing God's work like that But the truth is is that God has set you with a certain level of influence that you have influence over a certain number of people and God is telling you be the good news to those people Be the bearers of eternal life to those people Bring healing to those people. And I don't mean like healing and knock them on the ground. I mean just love them. Care for them. That kind of healing. Be If you can do the other kind of healing, there's a couple people in this church that need to be healed of some stuff. So if you can do that, not here probably, but you can talk to me. But the reality is, is that you are over or have influence over a certain area of people. And God is saying, be faithful to give witness to me to those people. Start. There. If you're faithful to what God has given you, God will give you even more work to do. <laughs> As if our lives weren't already busy enough. But Jesus says, The people that God has given you, be the bearer of eternal life in your families. And somebody prayed a prayer for me this morning, and they said, um, May my children and my family see Christ through me. That was the prayer, and it was scary, because when he said that to me, I thought to myself, "Uh uh-oh, who do they see on a daily basis? Do they see Christ, or do they see the devil? Because my primary level of influence is my family. If you have children, that is your primary level of influence, If you're single and you don't have kids, your primary level of influence are the friends that you connect with or the people that you work with. And it doesn't mean that you're baptizing them and you're dunking them in water. It means you must always continually be loving, caring, generous, the bearer of eternal life. So when the opportunity arises and you can talk about Jesus, they will listen to you because you have spent the time to get to know them and care for them and love them. Hardly will anybody be convinced by the facts, right? You know, um, I can talk to somebody who believes differently than me, and they can tell me all the reasons why they believe that when you die, after you die, you um, you go to heaven, or whatever, anything. It doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, we were having this conversation this past week, and there was a certain set of Christians that were not Seventh-day Adventists, and then there was myself, and we were talking about some of the differences in beliefs, and this one other pastor was telling me all the reasons and the Bible verses as to why he believes this, and I said, I've read those Bible verses, but I'm still not convinced. Because the facts will very rarely change our minds. What changes our minds is when somebody cares enough for us and loves us, then we will listen to what they have to say. Verse number three, Jesus says this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life? Is it up in the clouds? Is it somewhere far away? Is it future? Kind of it's future, because it goes into eternity. But at its very basic core, according to Jesus... Eternal life is that you would know the one true God. And he would go on to say, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you know me, then you know God. Which is why I start the, the, the sermon with the sense that you have to, you must, crucial for your life of faith, you must, you must, you must abide in Christ through prayer through the reading of the scripture, to the dialoguing of this with your family or with your friends, which is why it's important that we come to church. Church is not for you to be fed. Church is for you to give and to confess that Jesus is Lord. In the process of worship and confessing Christ, God in his goodness still blesses us, and that's why we feel good when we come to church. Amen? Even when God requires something of you, he gives it that back to you that much more, and you still feel good. Isn't that weird? Well, God requires of us, God, like, like Kurt was saying, God loves a cheerful giver. Guess what? It's not always that easy to pull out your 10%, right? Sometimes it's, it stings. But we entrust God with it, and what does God do? He doesn't allow us to run out. At least that has been my experience. My experience that I had a talk with my son the other day, I said, you know, we're teaching them about the importance of tithing. We're teaching them about the importance of giving 10% back. So they get an allowance sometimes when we remember. When they, if they forget, hey, we don't bring it up. <laughs> Parenting tip number one. We give them an allowance, not a very big one. But a part of the deal is if you get allowance, you tithe. A part of the deal is if you get whatever you get, 10% is coming right back. If you don't, you don't get it next week. Okay? And sometimes they're like, but what I want, I need those $2 for. I said, yeah, I've been there. But what we're doing is that we're entrusting God. We keep 80% and we only return 10. And what I tell them is it doesn't mean you're not going to have to budget. It means you always have to budget, You, you know, if you don't have a lot of money. But what you're doing is you're showing God that with the thing that is most valuable to you, you are returning it to him and trusting him to take care of you. The entire essence of the scriptures is that we can trust God. The reason that the Israelites fell away in the Old Testament is because they stopped trusting that God would look out for them. Tithe is God's awesome way (laughs) of reminding us weekly or every two weeks or monthly, however you get paid, It's God's way of reminding us that he can be trusted. The Sabbath is that today you don't have to go out and make a business deal because God will still sustain you. The message of the Sabbath is that God is in control and you are not. If you turn off your cell phones on Sabbath, those messages will be there on Sunday. They can wait because the world will keep spinning. Now, if it's an emergency, bad advice. But you understand what I'm saying. Sabbath is a weekly reminder that God is in control and that God is moving history forward and we can trust him and there's no need to fear. The Sabbath is that you don't have to do your homework today. The Sabbath is you get not to work today if you're able to. Sometimes in the medical field you can't help it. But the Sabbath is, hey, you get a day off to spend with your family, to spend at church, to feed your soul. They were asking us this weekend, so on Sabbath, on Saturday, these guys asked me, you guys can't do anything? I said, we could do whatever we want to, but we choose to pause because it's a day where we are reminded that God is in control of all things. That's good news. And so we keep going. Eternal life is to know God, to abide in God, and the only way you get to know somebody is by spending time with them, right? Right? That's the only way to get to know somebody. Lesson number three, and we're moving quickly. If you are going to talk about Jesus, this is it, and being a witness of Jesus, then you need to know Jesus. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing facts, and then there's knowing him, internalizing him allowing him to be a part of your life, allowing Jesus to actually help you make decisions that will glorify him and not you. I know this is difficult because sometimes our wife's voices are louder than Jesus's. I'm using that as an example. I love you, honey. <laughs> but you see know what I'm saying? Sometimes there's other voices all around us that seem to be louder than Jesus. And if that's the case, the reason is is because you're not spending enough time with Jesus. Uh Uh-oh, I'm starting to sound like a conservative preacher. Traditional old school, on that I am. To live a life that bears fruit, it must be connected to Christ daily. Now, God's still going to work through you even if you don't connect daily. But the more you connect to God, the better. The more you communicate to your wife or husband, probably the better relationship you're going to have. If you communicate the right way. Yelling is not communicating. If you communicate with your friends, the better relationship you're going to have. If you communicate with your brothers and sisters, the better relationship you're going to have. The reason, and you'll ask psychologists all the time, that one of the major problems people with relationships have is that they don't communicate well. Well, hello, that's probably true about our relationship with God we probably don't communicate enough. So spend time with Jesus. It's the best investment you can make. Verse 9. And now this is Jesus' prayer for his disciples, and it's consequently a prayer for us. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the, for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I think I got the wrong one. He says, and I put the wrong one up there, but he says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you would keep them safe from the evil one. Remember, I'm always talking about the supremacy of Jesus and how Jesus always wins. That's Jesus' prayer. God, if, if God is protecting you from Satan, do you think he's strong enough? Is he powerful enough to protect you? Start believing it. Start believing it because it's true. My prayer is that you would protect them from the evil one. And so lesson number four, and this is a part of it, is pray for those in your life that are in need of Jesus. Pray for a way to have a conversation with them about what Jesus has done in your life. Like I said, you can argue about Bible verses all the time, right? Have you ever had somebody try to convince you? you? Argue all day long. But you cannot argue about what God has done in somebody's life. You can't. You cannot argue with somebody. Someone cannot argue with you if you say that God has led you this way and brought you through. They can't argue with that. The way we show people about Jesus is just, this is what God has done for me. And through it, it's not about you. It's about giving glory to God. It's about glorifying God. It's not about you. And so I think we go to the next one. that That was what I just showed you. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. They are not of this world just as I am not. And this is where Jesus kind of gives us a gift. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, or I, I yeah, I'll tell you that, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is Jesus' prayer that, in essence, is asking God. I will lay down my life for them. Will you do me a favor, God, and protect them and keep them and continue this good work that you've started in them and carry it out into completion? See, this is Jesus' way. He doesn't just lay down his life for you. Jesus doesn't just give you eternal salvation. Jesus gives you this life, the best life and it doesn't mean a rich life. I've already said this. It doesn't mean that kind of abundance. It means a kind of abundance of overflowed with joy. And so I'm going to end with this little analogy. There are two different kinds of Christians in this world. There are the people that want to go to heaven is one group. And then there's another group of people that they just love Jesus. And if they go to heaven then that's a bonus. And so you got to ask yourself right now here this morning, what kind of a Christian are you? Are you the kind of Christian that just believes because you want to go to heaven and you want to escape death? Or do you believe in Jesus because you love him and because he promises to never leave you and to never be without you? You have to ask yourself that question because if you're just the kind of Christian that just believes because you want to go to heaven, you might be giving other non-Christians a bad view of what it means to be a Christian. Because if you're a Christian who truly believes the scriptures and you love Jesus, then you are just going to give witness by the way you lovingly and kindly live your life. It's a daily process that God works. That's this, this, this fancy church word that's called sanctify. It just means that God is doing a work in you and he keeps working on you and he keeps working on you and he's transforming you. That's a fancy church word for saying God is doing something amazing in you and if you're open to it, you will see it all the way through. And so this morning, God has called each one of you And he has called me to give witness to his mighty works in this world. And my prayer for you is that you would accept that call and that challenge. And the only way to go forward is to abide, abide, abide. Remain in God's presence. And he will fill you in a way that nothing else in this world will ever be able to. To do. Let's pray. God, the challenge is for each one of us, we know. It's not easy, but we know that in the end, it just makes sense. That even when you ask us to do something, Lord, we know you will give us back a hundredfold. And so we trust you moving forward. We celebrate you this day, and we're thankful for all you do for us.